Hello, fan fans. This is producer Andrew here. We will be getting to Steph and Kaya in just a moment. I am just here to let you know that today is a very special episode. It was recorded live at Fan Expo in Toronto. So for this one, it was a lot of fun. It was a live episode. The sound will be a little bit different than usual, a bit of a different vibe and energy than usual. So I'm just here to let you know that and also to do some quick announcements off the top and to remind you, as you are reminded every week on The Phantom Show, to please uh, follow, rate, and review on wherever you get your podcasts, whether that be Apple Podcasts, Spotify, Podcast Addict. It helps the show move up the charts and find new listeners. If you want to support The Fandom Show, get shout-outs, newsletters, and early episodes, you can visit them on Patreon at patreon.com slash thefandomshow. Their theme song is by Yusu Kim at songfinch.com. Their logo is by John Blair. And as well, if you would like to get more The Fandom Show, but live going to you, into your homes, uh, us at the From Superheroes Network, we're going to be taking part in an event called Extra Life Game Day on November 5th. If you are not familiar with what that is, it is a 24-hour live streaming event where all of the proceeds go to the Children's Miracle Network, which is a collection of hospitals in North America aimed towards helping children. Us at the network, we are going in support of Sick Kids Hospital, which is one of Canada's largest uh, pediatric hospitals. It is fantastic, and they do great things. And The Fandom Show is going to be doing a live recording of The Fandom Show streamed directly to that 24-hour event. There's going to be prize draws. There's incentives. There's lots of fun things going on. Fandom Show will be a part of it, but there's 24 hours of really fun events lined up. And if you go to extralife.fromsuperheroes.com, that is EXT. T-R-A-Life.FromSuperheroes.com, you will see a list of events, schedules, prizes, things that are going to be going on. It'll be updated regularly from that page. You can follow our Twitch channel, which will let you know when we're live, and you can donate today. If you donate today and we add a cool incentive or prize later, you're going to be retroactively added into the draw for that, so there's no reason to wait. Feel free to donate. It's all going to Sick Kids Hospital November 5th. Extra Life Game Day, extralife.fromsuperheroes.com. The Phantom Show will be there doing uh, a, a live show straight into your living room, similar to this live show today. So let's get into it. It's The Phantom Show live at Fan Expo with special guest Sam Maggs. Well, hello, 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 everyone, and welcome to The Fandom Show, the podcast we, where we learn about fantastic fandoms by talking to our favorites about their favorites. I am Kaya Green. And I'm Stephanie Malik. And today we are talking about the game that made all of the Earth want to romance sexy aliens. <laughs> it is Mass Effect. <laughs> Yay. Steph. Yeah. What do you know about Mass Effect? I know that it is the sci-fi, uh, sci-fi arm of Bioware's uh, games. Uh, I'm a big Dragon Age fan, so that's my, my big game fandom. So I know it's the one, uh, it's Dragon Age in space, basically. <laughs> yeah, you're right. <laughs> yeah. Basically, uh, yeah. Yeah, you go around, you romance people. Um, there's a vehicle that I hate driving. And oh, yeah, I, the makeup. So, yeah, yeah, And yeah. therefore, I stopped playing the game as soon as I had to drive that thing. I was like, I can't. I can't do this. Uh, so that's what I know about uh, Mass Effect. What do you know about Mass Effect? Uh, well, I am halfway through the second game. Um, I know. I'm, it's been very exciting. Um, so I know that I'm enjoying it very, very much. I know that uh, almost every cool person I know loves it. Yep. Um, and I am learning more about it by the day. But you know, Steph, who does know a lot about I Mass Effect? I do, I do. It is our guest. Uh, she's a best-selling author of books, comics, and video games, a narrative lead for Wizards of the Coast Digital Publishing and Licensing Division, as well as having written for games like Call of Duty Vanguard and Marvel Spider-Man. Uh, she's also just a really friggin' amazing uh, fangirl and creator and host. We're so excited to talk to her. Uh, please welcome Sam Maggs. Oh, everyone. hi, guys. I'm so excited to be here. Thanks. Uh, can't wait to talk Mass Effect, but neither of you are finished yet, so I'm like, I don't want to spoil anything. It's I'm, okay. Okay. A lot of spoilers have already come across. Like, it, I mean, this is what happens when you play a game like well after it's like released. twenty years like, late. Yeah. You just need to accept <laughs> some of that stuff. And for me, it's more about the journey. Okay. So. Yeah, I love that. I love that <laughs> yeah. for sure. I also was late to the game because I too was a Dragon Age person first. Really? Yeah. Well, I grew up playing Baldur's Gate, which is my favorite nice. game of all time. Really? OG Bioware. Um, fantasy game uh set in like 
the Dungeons and Dragons, yeah. like the Forgotten Realms. And when, you know, I was a big gamer when I was a kid, but as I got older, it always kind of felt like, oh, I didn't really know how to get back into like serious gaming uh, when I was like, you know, I had like a GameCube, I had my N64, I had a PlayStation 2, uh, but it wasn't until I moved out, I went to college, I got a PlayStation 3, and I heard that Dragon Age Origins was like the spiritual successor to Baldur's <gasps> Gate, and Ooh. I was like, oh, there's more, I could play more Baldur's <laughs> Gate, but it's like better and like rendered well, <laughs> like <laughs> rendering does make a difference. Yeah, yes. <laughs> I mean, and you play Dragon Age Origins now, and it's like it's oh, yeah. unplayable. It's uh, it's Absolutely. painful. It, to it's play. like playing with cardboard. It yeah. truly is. <laughs> it truly is an awful experience. Yeah, <laughs> the hair. <laughs> Dragon Age Origins is one of those games where I every time I replay it, I'm like. Oh gosh! Oh, I have to get through the the deep roads. Oh, okay, uh, God, I hate this part. I'll just get through this, and then I'll get to the next part, and then I get through the deep roads, and I'm like, Oh, the forest! Oh God, I hate <laughs> this part. God, okay, fine, I'll just get through it. And then every single part of the game is like, that. And you're like, Oh, now I'm in the fade. Oh, oh the fade. Oh, I hate that part. Oh my God! So that's that's the whole experience. Of yeah, that game for me. Uh, I do not find that the same is true with Mass Effect. But I, so I was like, I played all of. Uh, Origins and Awakening, Dragon Age 2, and then, like, was so excited for Inquisition when it came out that I had ordered a physical copy and it didn't arrive in the mail the day that I ordered it. So I ended up just like buying it digitally at midnight and then I went two copies. So I was like, I am not waiting a second longer. Right. I will throw myself off my balcony. Like, I, I couldn't do it. I did the same um, thing. <laughs> yes, I okay, wait. amazing. I need it now. I need it right now. <laughs> And then I finished that and I was, I was writing my first book, actually, The Fangirl's Guide to the Galaxy. And I was like, I need to play something. Like, I need something at night to take my mind off the fact that I've been writing so much all day. It was my first book. I didn't know what I was doing. I was so stressed out about it. And I was like, I just want more Bioware. So I decided to get into Mass Effect. I had tried it about six months beforehand. And I, like you, Steph, had gotten up to the part um, at the very beginning of Mass 1 where you have to defuse a bunch of bombs and it's on a timer. Yeah. And I react very negatively to timed <laughs> events in video games, yeah. like they're races. So they're so stressful yes. and arbitrary. And like, I hate them. I, and I just, I like put the controller down and I was like, never again. It's like, thank you so much. Goodbye. I absolutely will not <laughs> be doing this. this. So it had been like six months and I was like, okay, I'm going to try it again. Like I'm going to give it another try. And then over the next, like, three months I played all three games back to back just like nonstop and then just immediately got a tattoo like never came out of it I was I was never the same got a job at Bioware like fricked off to Edmonton just like, what everyone does after they finish the yeah game. exactly yeah. just, just like, like destroyed my life yeah, yeah absolutely yeah, no yeah, about was, it was so. there a moment in the first game where you were like I'm going to get a tattoo. <laughs> oh, my God. Well, it was after I had finished the third game. Oh, yeah? Uh, when the credits rolled on the third game, and I was on the floor in front of my couch, like, full sobbing <laughs> for, like, a full 30 minutes that I was like, I am a changed person. <laughs> uh, and I got it because I had, like, it. I, I had three months to write my book. I played those games in that three-month period. And so it very much symbolized for me, like you know, writing my first book and yeah. so kind of Aww. encapsulated that or whatever. But, um, Amazing. yeah, it was great. And I, I did not romance anyone <gasps> in the first game. No You're so first brave. time I played it. I know. <laughs> How did you get through it without romance? Well, I was just like, Garrus was right there yeah. the whole time. And I was like, oh, I feel bad. Like, and also like, <sighs> Liar. Okay. I'm going to be a controversial asshole about this. Liara is a child. <gasps> Liara's whole thing in the first game is she's like, I'm just a little baby. I'm, I'm like a teenager to the Asari. <laughs> <laughs> I'm like 12. And you're, you're supposed to be like, oh, I want, I'm into that. I want to both. No. <laughs> no, I was not the men who made this video game, so I was not into that. I do see so that. So I was like, like I, couldn't, I like, couldn't make it happen for myself. And then your other option is Caden. Caden, who like you have one nice conversation with and then tells the whole ship that you're his girlfriend. Okay. People immediately start coming up to you being like, I hear you and Caden are together. And you're like, I was just nice to him 
one time. I was nice to him <laughs> once, and now he thinks we're dating, and I know men like that. I've had yeah. that happen to me before, and I yeah. hate it. And so both of them, I was just like, mm, this is not going to work for me. Can I, can I confess something? Yes. Uh, when that happened in the game, I just went with it. You're like, yeah. <laughs> and I was like peer pressured into this. I guess I'm dating Caden now. Yeah, see, that's <laughs> and, gross. And we slept together, and I was like, guess this is my end game. <laughs> So like I hate that. I hate that for you. Yeah, You're, me too. It's exactly what he wanted. Yeah, I know. And, oh. it, and it worked, and it says too much about me as a person. <laughs> that is totally fair. I'm afraid of conflict. Uh, I finally, I finally, I was playing Legendary Edition. And I was like, I'm gonna platinum this game, so I had to, like, I finally had to romance someone in the first one. So I finally, I did romance Liara finally after like many playthroughs, but it felt so bad. It felt so bad for me. My boyfriend was right there watching me do it and I was like I'm so sorry it was brutal it's a it's a it's will they won't they pride and prejudice yeah yeah yeah, exactly he'll be waiting (laughs) Uh, how would you explain this game to someone who's never heard of it or who doesn't really uh know any of the Bioware games oh yeah that's a great call well story-wise it's about uh you play as a space marine who is kind of going about her business and inadvertently ends up mixed up uh in the apocalyptic alien invasion end of the universe uh, and she's basically the only one who can stop it uh, and the only one who thinks it's happening so it's it's very like x-files meets mm. alien kind of cool. uh, which is cool uh, and uh, bioware games are very much like playing a visual novel i guess i yeah. think they're the most narratively compelling no that's not true i think they're the most character driven video games uh out there, yeah. uh, I think the narrative is acceptable. I think the characters are uh, iconic and yeah. un- unmatched in almost all storytelling, yeah. I-, I think. Um, you just, something about the fact that you are the one engaging in these relationships with them makes it so much more impactful than just like watching a movie or reading a book. Uh, it feels so much more like these are actually my friends. And I, you feel that way about Dragon Age too, yeah, I think. That's what got me into Dragon Age uh, initially is just, I, I got tired of playing big bulky male characters. Yeah, just yes. Like, oh, I that's what I liked everything. about Baldur's Gate like, when I was a kid. Yeah. Exactly, yeah. It's like, oh, this is me with little elf ears. I look so cute and I'm, these are just my friends now. Yeah. And like, oh, it, feels, it feels so personal. Yeah, and what I find really compelling about Mass Effect as opposed to Dragon Age is in the Dragon Age franchise, you play a different main character every game. So you don't have that same continuity through all three games. I mean, some side characters reappear and you get cool cameos and stuff, which is great. Uh, But you don't have that, like, connection to your character Mm -hmm. the way that you do with Mass Effect, where you're a shepherd through all three games and you, like, grow with her and, like, learn with her and... Uh, you know, your relationships with each of these characters grows and develops over the course of the three games. I find that is also like a little bit detrimental in Dragon Age to the relationships. Like I have such a strong connection to Garrus, but I don't necessarily feel that way about like Alistair or Isabella or like Iron Bull or any of my romances like from the Dragon Age franchise because it just doesn't have that like same kind of longevity and like long character development. Yeah. Yeah, It's a little more episodic. Yeah. Yeah, Yeah. definitely. That's a great way to put it. Totally. Yeah. Which is great and has its own merits, I think in a lot of ways. Totally. Um, and I'm sure, I'm sure Dreadwolf will be the same, um, whenever, whenever that may exist. But, um, do you find in, in Mass Effect, um, do the relationships with your companions keep developing throughout based on your decisions in previous games? Oh, a hundred percent. Oh, I love that. A hundred percent. Oh yeah. That's like the whole thing is, uh, absolutely. Um, I mean, it is still like a video game. You're limited in how much like people, people are often like my choices don't have big consequences, but your choices do have a lot of little consequences with the way that like you interact with your characters and your friends. And, uh, yeah, everything does sort of, pay off in the end depending on the choices you make um of course the first time i played the game i was like i'm gonna play it perfect <laughs> so i like looked up how to make everyone not mad at me <laughs> all the time oh know? if only we could do that yeah, in real life oh my god i wish i wish Please. <laughs> yeah can you tell us a little more about the choice-based system especially like as a writer like how does that impact the way you play uh how do you think like it makes the story unique oh sure so uh, writing, writing choice-based video games is a massive undertaking, which yeah. is why Bioware has huge writing teams. Uh, not, not the hugest anymore. I mean, 
Mass Effect or Dragon Age, we're looking at like 15 people. Baldur's Gate, three right now. I think we're at 45 writers Dang, currently. It's, that game is huge. That's enormous. That game is huge. I don't know if I'm allowed to say that. That might be a Wizards of the Coast secret, so don't Shh. don't share that. We'll um, just bleep just the number. Just the number. It's a lot. <laughs> we have a lot of writers. Larian has a lot of writers on that game right now. Like that's a Simpsons level amount of writers. I mean, for real, like, the game is, is huge. There's so much content, right? Like, Dragon Age Inquisition... Because when you're, okay, so when you're writing something linearly, like a book, you have a finite number of words and it just happens linearly. But when you're writing something with branching dialogue, like a choose your own, you know, choose your own adventure novels get bigger and bigger based on how many options there are. And the same can be said of a video game where like you have all of these branches that only, you know, sometimes only like 3% of players will ever see because it's so far down a branch or you had to make X number of choices in previous games in order to see it in this game. Um, and that that branching expands your word count exponentially, right? Because you start, it literally is exponential. Um, so Dragon Age Inquisition, a, a normal novel, like I'm writing a Star Wars book right now that's going to be 80,000 words. That's like a novel. Oh, that's so many words. It's so many words. Dragon Age Inquisition has over 900,000 words. So like it is exponential. Like the oh it, they, these games are huge on the back end for like a payoff that... Ultimately, not a lot of people see. That's the great thing about Twitch streaming and YouTube now is like you can go watch right. all these other iterations of it. And it also like encourages replays, although like no one I know has ever made a different choice. I can't. In a Bioware <laughs> can't. game. So that's very hypothetical, myself included. Not it's even impossible. like one time. It's impossible. But like it's it's huge. It's huge on the back end. And so there's a lot of logic tracking as a writer, especially at Bioware. Like you are responsible for setting all of your like conditionals and plot flags. So like this line only fires if this line has fired previously, if you made this choice previously, like you are responsible for setting all of that logic because oh. like you're the only one who really know, like you have your level designer or whatever, but it would be crazy to expect them to like remember all of that stuff too. So you are responsible for like a lot of that logic um, and plot flow. And so we make a lot of like, when I was there, we made like a lot of charts and, you know, Using Twine is a, is a great way to like visualize this because it's the same kind of system, essentially. We worked in Frostbite on like a proprietary system. Um, there are similar systems in Unity, which are free. Um, but yeah, it's, it's huge on the back end. Uh, so I just, I, when I play games of branching dialogue, I always appreciate the amount of work that goes into it and also the amount of like money and time that's spent on stuff that like you have to just know off the bat that like nobody's gonna see. So you just oh. are kind of making it like almost for yourself a, a lot of this stuff, right? Like yeah, yeah, because you, you gotta be a nerd. Yeah, you really <laughs> do. You really yeah. do have to be a nerd about it to like have all of these different kind of trails that your relationships and your story can go down and. Uh, it's a lot. It's oh <laughs> so crazy. And when you think about like you have to animate all those different scenes and like they're huge amounts of work. I don't know how they do it, honestly. That's so cool. That's I mean, so I made Anthem, so. Oh my goodness. I don't know, that was I, different. I mean, like you can see why Mass Effect feels like such a lived in world with so many options. It feels like it really does react to you in real time. Yeah, definitely, definitely. And like, especially by the time th they were working on three, like that had been basically the same group of people working on that game for like, you know, a decade. And so um, there were a lot of people whose like whole heart and soul are kind of like in those three games, which is pretty dope. That's incredible. Yeah. Um, uh, you said in some of your previous work, Bioware's worlds create a unique kind of fandom. Uh, can you expand on that? Uh, I think it is about the character building for me, honestly. Like, yeah. yeah, it's, it's like, it just makes people fervent. It makes people crazy, like myself included, because you just, you feel like these people are your actual friends. Like yeah. you really feel connected to them. Um, they're so good at building realistic likable characters, even when the characters are unlikable. Absolutely. A friend of ours is playing uh, through Dragon Age 2 and sent a text, uh, Fred Travis, who's been on the podcast, uh, also here, um, and said, I, I turned Isabella into the Kunar, and I was like, I can't <gasps> talk to you anymore. I'm so mad at you right no. now. You're dead to me. I That's, had to, like, no. peace keep it's, in texts. It was a lot. That's <laughs> like people in Inquisition who sacrificed the Chargers. Yeah. 
I'd... immediately dead oh, yeah. to me. How could you ever? Yeah. Immediately dead to me. I love Iron Bull so much. You I love Iron Bull so much. Oh my God. I, my ex-husband, who I'm still really good friends with, and was also a producer at Bioware. He's a Rex murderer. Uh, he kills Ayn. We're divorced now. Um, <laughs> that's okay. what happened. Because of that. I have another confession. No! <laughs> it was an accident. I, I mean, and that is fair. They don't telegraph that choice super yeah. well. I will give you that. It they, was one where I was like, yeah, you shouldn't do... Oh, no, I killed him. <laughs> you touch on a very interesting and important aspect of choice-based video games, which is that it is uh, a fine art uh, paraphrase text writing because you have to tell the player exactly what choice they're making in about the four words that fit on the dialogue wheel. Right. Uh, and that's not always easy. My favorite, <laughs> my favorite example of this is in Mass 2. I believe it is in Mass 2, yes, which you are playing right now. Uh, it's the Thane romance start. Um, I don't know if there are any Thane, Thane folks in here, uh, but they had written Thane. Thane's whole thing is like, oh, my wife is dead. It's really sad. I have a terminal illness. Like Thane is the sad boy romance of Mass Effect. And they were doing a bunch of play testing and they found that the line that you had to pick to initiate a romance with Thane, it was unclear that that's what you were doing when mm. you picked it. Like much like when you kill Rex, the line was something you know, the paraphrase was something subtle, like paraphrase being the words that show up on the dialogue wheel, like when you select them before they say the line. The paraphrase was something like, and Patrick Weeks has tweeted about this, so I am I am also paraphrasing them right now. Um, but it was something, you know, it was something subtle. It was like, oh, you know, well, I think you're really great. Like it was something like that. And the playtest response was basically like, people don't know when they pick this that they are choosing to like engage in a romance with Thane. And so it's frustrating players because mm -hmm. they maybe don't want that. They just want to give them a nice compliment. And yeah. then they're like, oh, well, I have to go reload, whatever. Sounds like a real Caden situation. <laughs> a real Caden situation, right? So, but by now all the dialogue had been recorded. All they could do, the only option they had left to them was to change that paraphrase line to make it into something really, really obvious. And Thane's previous conversation right before that is like, my wife is dead and I'm so sad and everything is terrible and I miss my dead wife. And the paraphrase is like, I want to fuck you. <laughs> what? Like, it's so, it's like, make love to me, Thane. And it's, it's so bad. It's so bad in context, but like, you cannot you cannot misinterpret that as wanting to start a romance with Thane. Like, it did what it was supposed to do, but, like, in the context of the conversation, it is so bad. It's so I have to find the actual line for you guys. I'm going to find it while we continue talking, because it is, like, it's real good stuff. Um, these are the pitfalls, and, and that's why, like, paraphrase writing could be its own sort of, uh, its own art form. Yeah. Yeah. It is funny with Bioware games that, like, I often my social anxiety still factors in even though no one else is involved. <laughs> Absolutely. So, like, if he's talking about his dead wife, uh, then, and, and that comes up, I would be like, well, I can't say that. What will people think? That's exactly right. <laughs> uh, they were, they were, the original line was, oh, I'm here for you, which is like, that's just a normal nice. person. That's being a nice hurt human. That yeah. seems like being a nice human. Uh, yeah, and the... Like, if you told me that something bad had happened to you today, I'd be like, oh, that's... I feel for you. That's that's really yeah, tough. and that's how we started dating. Absolutely. <laughs> Patrick says that the way he would fix that line now is by making it into, you matter to me, Thane, Aww. which I think is good and a clear that's, indicator as well. Yeah, that's And romantic. not so awkward, but they were on a real-time crunch at the time, and it was 2009, so what are you going to... What are you going to... <laughs> so you've played this game a bunch of times. Are there Too many. many. <laughs> how many times do you know? How many times no. have you played through Amazing. Uh, no. Amazing. I don't want to think about it. Um, are there any major changes you've done through your different playthroughs, or do you play it straight the same way every time? <sighs> I mean, I did Romance Liara that one time yeah. so that I could plat the game. Uh, gotta do what you gotta do. You, you know? gotta do what yeah. you gotta do. It was painful. And anything um, surprising that you've come up in these playthroughs, these multiple playthroughs, where you're like, oh. oh, I find something new in this game every single time I play it. Really? Every single time I play it. Wow. Yeah, I miss lines or I miss like subtle connections. Um, there's in Mass Effect 3, this is one that I noticed on my second to last playthrough, but in Mass 3, one of the places you can go on the Citadel is a hospital and there is... Um, someone with 
PTSD, having a conversation with a nurse about like a horrible situation that they went through where the Reapers attacked their planet. And it was only on like my third or fourth playthrough that I realized that that's actually Joker's sister. Joker's like your pilot. Yeah. Uh, and they're never, they're never explicit about it. It's just like, if you listen enough to all of the conversations that people have, you can kind of piece it together. And so there's just so much stuff like that in the game that every single time I play it, I'm getting something new out of it. I also found that this last time I played, I played it without the subtitles on because I have a really bad habit of like reading faster than the voice actors yep. speak. Right. And yeah. so I'm, I'm constantly kind of like skipping ahead. So this time I, it made my playthrough much longer, obviously, but yeah. this time I turned subtitles off and I just listened as if it was a movie and I caught so much more nuance and also like the voice acting is elite. So I, I feel kind of bad that I hadn't been doing that already, <laughs> but these games are big, you know, I'm yeah. on a, like I'm on a time yeah. crunch here. Yeah. You got <laughs> but so do. I found a lot of cool stuff that way too. I sometimes blame more renegade than I do Paragon. Like I'll make some meaner choices or whatever, but like, for the most part, I always play Femshep. I almost always play Vanguard. I Again, to Platt, I've had to play, like, the other classes a few times. But, like, I like playing Vanguard. I like having magic and guns. Like, I think that rules. I don't know why you wouldn't <laughs> want to play with magic and guns. It's dope. <laughs> I think it does objectively rule. It yes. rules. Yeah. It's so dope. Uh, and, I yeah, I almost always romance Garrus. And I always pick the same ending but I don't want to spoil you guys on the ending so but yeah I, I always pick the same ending because I think that there's I think that there's a good ending and okay bad ending. <laughs> that brings what is the correct and this is spoiler heavy if you don't want spoilers plug your ears yeah uh, fast forward but what is the correct ending to Mass Effect in your opinion this is such a complicated question because I think what the devs and what the writers want you to think is the correct ending is synthesis where you like join yourself and all organic life with all um, machine life and it creates like a new race and therefore it will stop the wars between the organics and the machines forever. But I, I think that's a trick. I think that's a trick. I think both control and synthesis are a trick that they're indoctrinating Shepard and they just want to continue to exist through whatever circumstances possible. And also that feels like a big decision to make for like the entirety of the galaxy yeah. to make everyone suddenly like a cyborg. Yeah. Consent is important. Consent is important. <laughs> um, so I, I am a proponent of destroy, unfortunately, which I understand also makes me a genocidal maniac because I also always broker peace between the Geth and the Canari. Um, the Canari. <laughs> oh, the, the Quarians. Sorry, we were talking too much about Dragon Age. Uh, too many Q names. The Geth and the Quarians. I always do peace, and then I immediately murder all the Geth. But I like to think. <laughs> I like to think that the Quarians could bring them back. I like. I like to think that, and I. I like to think that the like the Reapers have to die. The Reapers have to go. I think it's the only way. Everything else, there's too much risk that they're actually controlling you. And I understand. That the whole thing is like, well, then the cycle will just start all over again. But I don't think it will because your actions over the course of the three games have shown that like AI and organics can actually exist peacefully. So like, that's fine. And also you get to live. <laughs> Selfishly, I mean... it is the only ending where you get to live. And I would like to live with my boyfriend forever and adopt <laughs> little Krogan babies. <laughs> the end. <laughs> it says so much about the game. It's like that it's so complicated. It's that so complicated. All of those have good and bad points. Oh, and yeah. There really is no like... My girlfriend is a control. She always does control because she's like, it's the only way. Like the only way is for Shepard to become like head of the Reapers and like that's the only way to ensure... And I'm always like, you are a maniac that's crazy <laughs> i don't trust you at all like yeah but and people have such strong opinions about it i also didn't play the game until the extended cut ending had already been released so mm. i admittedly missed a lot of like the drama about the original ending sucked and whatever like I'm, whatever whatever i'm sure it did <laughs> everyone has hot takes which yeah. we will get to in a bit because yeah. we have a bunch of them for oh absolutely. great 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 okay um here's a question for you though before we get to that is what are some of your favorite characters i mean if, if characters are the thing that makes this obviously your boyfriend obviously um, obviously but what are some of your favorite characters side stories romances least favorite characters <laughs> what's that, that i said too? least favorite characters oh oh all all great questions uh oh gosh uh i love the relationship between joker and Edie. Yes. Uh, that's one of my favorite in the game. I think it's Seth Green's best performance. He is so killer. You're absolutely right. I said that as a Buffy fan. Oh my that's... God. Yes, absolutely. Yeah. And Trisha Helfer as a hot robot is oh, like, hell yeah. Sign me up. I'm <laughs> sure. Her wheelhouse. I know. I mean, that's the whole thing, right? <laughs> exactly. Uh, I just, I love 
I love watching the two of them have like, they have really, really good relationship growth. I think in character growth, the moment where you play as Joker in mass two, when Edie's like helping him through the ship is really powerful. I think it really like underlines the development of their relationship from kind of like antagonistic to friendly. And then maybe more than friendly. I just think it's so well done. Um, it's so well done. I do really love Joker generally. Uh, I love, I love Tally. I think her journey is really interesting as someone who starts out like very, you know, she's capable, but she also is very naive. Um, and that, that is really interesting to watch. Um, I think that God, least favorite characters, very difficult. I don't really give a shit about Samara. I got to be honest. <laughs> Samara and Morant, that story I feel very ambivalent about. Although the voice actress who plays Samara is Billie Eilish's mother, which oh, is interesting. What? what? Yeah, that is true. Um, so that's, that's weird. <laughs> that's just a fun <laughs> That's fact. like a weird fact, yeah. which I think is interesting and makes her marginally more interesting. Um, but like, I don't, the whole like, a sorry sex death thing is a little men wrote this for me. I don't, I don't know. <laughs> I don't, mm. So <laughs> that kind of, that's a bit, uh, whatever I, gosh, Oh my gosh. Who are some of your favorite characters to talk to me? Oh, I mean, Joker. Yeah. Yeah. Joker, Joker, I mean, Joker is my favorite. Killer. I, I love Garrus. Yeah. yeah. Like, He's your bro. He's the best bro in video games yeah 100% and forgive me because I'm still playing it playing it through yeah. um the uh I forget the the Krogan uh warrior in the second one grunt I, I just met him grunt I love grunt I also love grunt your little Krogan tank baby Aww. yes very good as played by Steve Bloom who is a genius and like yes as soon as I started getting into his character quests I was like I love you I'll die for you hundred percent. Th this will only what? get worse for you. I assure you. Yes. Oh, oh no. good. Oh, good. No. Good. Mass Effect also has, I think, probably the best DLC of all time, which is called the Citadel DLC. Mm. Uh, yes. Thank you. Y'all know um, <laughs> it is. You are meant to play it right before. I think anyway, you're meant to play it right before you engage in the very final mission of Mass Effect Three, and you basically go to Shepard's. Anderson gives you like a dope apartment on the Citadel, and he's like, "Throw a fucking party! Welcome uh, to my crib! Welcome to go gamble with your friends!" And it's just a DLC where like it has a short story mission, which is very very funny. It was basically a thank you to the fans. It was the very last thing they put out after the game had come out, um, so it's all like full of inside jokes, really funny. But the whole thing is like you just party with your buds and everybody gets wasted in your apartment <laughs> and grunt ends up like drunk in your shower, just like mumbling on the floor. Like everybody is dead. Like Caden strikes out with Ashley. Like it's just, it's all. And depending on like the kind of party that you choose to have, you can have like a more lit party or like more chill vibes party, like different different situations happen with all your friends who interact in different ways. And like every single person basically who's ever been in the games at the party with you and it's it's pretty lit. Someone just whips out a guitar starts playing Wonderwall. There is like there is absolutely <laughs> stuff like that. A hundred percent. It's really good. I think someone does play the piano at some point. I think it's Tally I want to say. I don't remember but yes. Um, so yeah it's it's really really good and it's, it's a really nice um, it's like devastating because at the end you're like well that was fun time to go die I guess we're going to lose a bunch of you anyway, bye yeah exactly oh god <laughs> nothing like an apocalypse eve party I, that oh, is exactly yeah. the vibe um, but it's, it's it is really really good I think I you know I dunked on Liara in the first game but Liara's character development is like insanely good she was written by Sylvia Fakadakuti who I think is also a genius and like her, her journey from the first game to the last game where she's like the shadow broker and like the most powerful person in the universe basically is pretty lit. Like it's really, really good. <laughs> it's really good. Sick. Um, it sounds like a Leliana. Yeah. Like I keep making Dragon Age references because that's my point of reference, but yeah. it sounds like Leliana. A hundred percent. And same, like, yeah, totally, totally, yeah. totally. Um, and you know, a lot of the same writers worked yeah. on both games, which yeah. so it's, uh, um, Really, really great stuff. And it's effective. It works. You, it does work. Like, you get into these storylines, and they are, you know, everyone knows the person who started out a little quiet, and then they get a bit of confidence, and then they become a badass. Yeah. And like, Liliana and Liara, that's such a good comparison, yeah. and is very accurate. 
Leon and Inquisition is so funny. Every yeah. time you come to her, you're like, hey, do you know, like, do you know Jim? And she's like, why do you want me to kill him? <laughs> and you're like, no, dude. No, no, dude, no, I'm no, just, just wondering. Just I want to send question. him a card. <laughs> what? <laughs> like, just, okay. Just send him a little thank you gift. I don't know. Yeah, exactly. <laughs> really um, good. <laughs> okay, bef- before we get in the hot takes, I do have to ask one more question. Yeah, yeah, is, yeah. Um, or if you have others, but um, what are the most, like, iconic moments for you that, like, get you right in the heart that when you think of Mass Effect, you think of blank? Oh my god. Uh well, if you romance Garrus, the the last scene before like the final mission, you talk about like, hey, when we both die, I'll meet you at the bar in heaven. Oh. Ah, yep, 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 yep. It gets me right every I just ball every single time. Like it is I can't. It's really it's really hard. I don't um, even know that guy and I'm emotional. I right? know. That's very Hugh Wonderwall. I mean literally, yeah. Uh, that that's big. Um, the Citadel DLC I think is really iconic. Uh, and the sound that the Reapers make is really they make this like boom <laughs> sound that is like very intense and terrifying and it, it when I hear it now I have this like visceral like fear reaction to it because it is so the sound design in that game is like really really effective um the soundtrack also i think is really good it's like all synth wave which is cool and yeah but i think the the reaper sound is iconic but that moment meet me at the bar is like that's a big one for me i would be curious to hear what other people's answers to that question is though uh I just love talking Mass Effect. One hundred percent. Well, we do have some hot takes. Uh, well, I just want to ask one final oh, question. Yeah, yes, please. Yeah. I think I know the answer. But what's the nerdiest thing you've done in relation to this fandom? Oh yeah, no, I I moved to Edmonton <laughs> to go work at Bioware. I did. I fully did. I like. I had written a couple of books, and I knew a bunch of the Bioware folks. Weirdly, because I got this tattoo and then I was on, I was the Cineplex girl for a couple of years, you you know, before the movies you go and there's like whatever. Iconic. I know. (laughs) And a bunch of people from Bioware was like, that chick before the movies has a Spectre tattoo and had like, so we, I found a bunch of Bioware people like on Twitter and stuff. And then I was doing like the con circuit with my books. And so I'd gotten to know a bunch of them. And so when a writing job came up, um, I was like, I'm going to apply uh, and so I was, I, to, to apply, I had to write a twine, a Dragon Age twine. They oh asked me gosh. to write a twine, like in the Dragon Age setting. Wow. Um, I had to make it myself with coded it and everything. Cause that showed that I understood like branching dialogue, the characters, the world, all that stuff. And they kind of, and then I did like the full interview cycle and it was for an associate writer position. And I, I flew out there. They flew me out for the interview I did like eight hours of interviews in one day, which is what video game interviews are like. You just wall to wall all morning. You go out for lunch and then all afternoon, like it's wall to wall. And I remember video game playing trained you for it. Oh my God. Like exactly. (laughs) My marathon Mass Effect playing. And I, I remember the creative director of Anthem at the time sat down. He was a real dick. Um, and he's the creative director of the next Mass Effect now. So I won't be working on that game, Uh, (laughs) but, uh, he sat down, he was like, you know you're moving all the way out here and I could fire you at any moment. What? Like, you're, no. you're here on, on probation, basically. And oh. I was like, yep, no problem. When do I start? <laughs> like, so I, they, we did the interview in the Baldur's Gate room. Like, there was a big Baldur's Gate thing on the wall and, like, they had all these like, Mass Effect murals on every elevator and I was like, not a problem. Oh, wow. <laughs> I'm going to get an Airbnb. <laughs> like, I'm very enthused. Can you imagine if you just, like, realized it in that moment and were like, oh, my God. No, and it, it was meltdown. kind of one of those moments, too where I was like I am committing to this wow. like yeah. um but yeah I I did that I sure did that and it was totally worth it it was great like I I, I met so many amazing people there and started my career in games and I got to like Patrick Weeks ended up being my mentor in games wow. and is still like one of my closest friends and I'm so grateful that I got to learn from all of the like amazing writers there so yeah, that was really big. I also, I'm getting a big shepherd tattoo on my thigh, oh. like, right now, which is half done. Cool. And it has a big space hamster on it, so <laughs> yes. I can show you that. That's pretty nerdy. <laughs> we love a nerdy tattoo. Yeah, hey, yeah. tattoos have gotten you a job before. So. I mean, exactly. Yeah, exactly. Incredible. Uh, so we're going to move on to a section called Hot Takes, where we love go this. through the internet uh, we ask our listeners, and we also just delve through Reddit uh, message yes. boards. Oh, I love this. To find hot, hot takes on Mass Effect that we're going to ask you to react to. Okay. 
Amazing. Okay. So uh, starting with, this is uh, Oliver on Facebook. Because you get the top skills of all your party members, the half and half characters like Rex, Garrus, and Caden are useless. Never brought them along unless it was story related. Well, I would never bring a character along for a reason that wasn't story related. <laughs> so I both, I, I kind of agree, to be honest. Like from a tactical point of view, you do want characters that have the skills that you don't have. But like, I'm not not taking Garrus on every mission. Yeah, he's your boyfriend. <laughs> he's your bro. Like, he's your best bro and yeah. your boyfriend. Like, obviously, I'm taking him. So, like, it depends on your definition of useless, I would say. Mm, right. <laughs> Good. All right. Uh, this one is the Mako's actually not that bad. You just need to be careful what kind of terrain you drive it on. I disagree. The Mako is that <laughs> bad. Terrible. The Mako is that bad, especially pre-Legendary Edition. And they did not make as many improvements in Legendary Edition as they should have, like, they should have totally overhauled Mass 1. I think it's a disaster still. But it is far more playable um, than in the original version. But it is awful. The Nomad in Andromeda is much better. Much better. They did a good job in Andromeda um, with, the, with the vehicle. But yeah. So yeah, Steph, your your hatred for the Mako is so so. But it's also like I, I have such it. a like tender spot in my heart for the Mako because it is so jank like that. <laughs> yeah. I, I have come to love it. Like it's, it's your piece together car that should have broken down. Oh, like, totally. That I ago. know I've borfed in like yeah. so many times. <laughs> I'm just like flipping that shit all over the place. You like totally. In it. Yeah. yeah. Your oh yeah. Taking yeah. naps in the back. Totally. Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> oh my god. Uh, okay. Um, how about this one? Mass Effect 2 broke the promises that Mass Effect 1 made. That's from Lone Wolf 341 on Twitter. This is a really interesting one. Um, the story architect of Mass 1, Drew Carpishin, uh, was not a part of Mass Effect 2. Um, had, had left the studio at that point. And so I think that a lot of the story threads or greater like world building and plot threads that were set up in 1 were either altered or abandoned in 2 in favor of character-based storytelling. I think there's a lot of like Reaper- lore or dark matter lore or mass effect lore like the mass effects themselves the relays that don't like that you can kind of see them planting the seeds for in one that really never germinate and that was just a i think that was just an issue of taking the game in kind of a different direction with a new writing team into and mass effect 2 is one of if not the greatest video game of all time so like widely widely accepted uh you know um, so I think, I think they made the right call. So I think that answer is both correct, but not like, I don't think that's a bad thing necessarily. Mm. Um, so we know there's a ton of controversy about Mass Effect 3. People had big feelings. Yeah. <laughs> uh, so this one is the fandom backlash to the original Mass Effect 3 has become the blueprint for every online shitlord who feels like weaponizing grievance. Correct. <laughs> right. Yeah. No notes. No notes. You're right. Yeah. 100% yes. Yeah. Amazing. Totally. Uh, we haven't talked a bunch about the Krogan, uh, but this one is from Mertiel on Reddit. The Krogan don't deserve to be cured of the genophage. They are a direct threat to the galactic peace and cannot be trusted if they start breathing out of control. Ooh. That's a bad take. <laughs> that's a really, that's, that's a eugenicist take yeah. that, I, that I don't like. Oh. Uh, it was not the Solarian's uh, place to decide to genocide them. Yeah. Uh, we, we can't just do that, unfortunately. And like, they may, they may be a threat to the galaxy again in the future, but also like, yeah, Ugh. Ugh. I can't. I don't. I can't vibe with that one. Unfortunately. No. Yeah, maybe if you stop trying to genocide them. Yeah. Maybe I, well, you know, like anyone. yeah. Ooh. Do yeah. genocide. Don't pick what people can uh, can procreate. I mean, Please. there are lots of other violent races. Like the Turians are like the greatest military force in the galaxy. That is also a, a big threat. Like, I don't know. Ugh. I don't know. That's a slippery slope know. right there. Yeah. Deal. No. That's fair. Okay. How about this one? Um, the Asari are non-binary, not exclusively female. All, all use of feminine language, uh, likely a weary concession made for the comfort and ease of other species. They don't have a concept of gender. Why would they be female? That's I from, agree. I, yeah. I would totally agree with that. Yeah, because like they don't have a concept of, I mean, they have like mother and father, which they use in the game because it's like the way we understand it. Mm -hmm. And they use she pronouns also because like they're blue titty aliens <laughs> that, like some horny dude wanted to put in the game like i mean you know let's be honest about it um 
but I think I I think that's legit. Yeah, I think that's legit. Yeah, that's so rad. They're monogender, so like, so then how why would have... they have a bi-gender pronoun yeah. or whatever? You know? Yeah, yeah. I, I that makes sense. Which, like, from a representational perspective, as a non-binary person, is so cool to see that in a yeah, game. Yeah, it is years so dope. Ago. It's so dope. Um, and I think that like, were that game being made today, that's probably something they could have done like more explicitly yeah oh that's awesome yeah i mean i don't know that for sure but that's how i would interpret it yeah uh this one is ashley never gets a redemption arc for her racism and xenophobia she builds a closer relationship with Shepard, but at no point is she ever confronted with her views or forced to reckon with them we just accept that she's one of the good ones i would probably agree with that i think people are a little tough on ashley but i think it's for this very reason like i think Ashley in the first game is very much like just espousing her family's views. And I think we all probably know people who grew up in like really conservative households and kind of learned to parrot those views without, without learning to think for themselves. I would have loved if by the third game, like she had been out in the galaxy for so long and been buds with aliens for so long that like she did have a moment where she was like, I can't believe I used to think this, my family, whatever. Um, I think that would have been a much more satisfying arc for her I, I you know I've never really thought about that but I think that's totally legit amazing yeah all right how about this one Mass Effect 3 suffers from Godfather 3 syndrome where the first two were so well received that people consider it bad even though it's still an excellent yes. piece of content in its yes, own right yes correct yeah. I, I would totally agree with that and like listen no one was ever going to be fully satisfied by the ending like no. there's only so many way like people wanted vastly different endings and like that's just not how storytelling or video games works like that's just it was not possible I think I mean I don't again I wasn't working on these games but like I think knowing what I know about how to make video games like that's just not possible like you were still working within the realm of what is possible yeah it's a lot to ask it is you know and like I I think that I think it's good I think it's really good like it affected me emotionally um I think that people just expected a lot a lot a lot that like they just weren't able to deliver and I think that's reasonable. Yeah, I'm sure yeah. people have headcanoned their own ending, and they're like, ah, this is what I'm going to, oh, no, I can't do that. And totally. And get upset about You're it. You're never going to please everybody with stuff no. like that, totally. I mean, do I think there are other endings that could have been better? Like, probably, but I think they gave it, I think Mass 3 is really good. Like, I really love Mass 3. Yeah. I genuinely really love it, so, um, yeah. Amazing. All right, what is your hottest Mass Effect take? Oh my gosh, you told me you were going to ask me this ahead of time. And I was like, I am so... <laughs> you can go through a couple. Like, you don't have to pick the one. Uh, my current hottest take is that they should not have released a trailer for whatever the next Mass Effect game is going to be uh, this early. Mm. Because I don't think anybody knows what the next Mass Effect game is going to be. <laughs> uh, so it seems like, seems like putting the cart in front of the horse a little mm. bit uh and it just like riles the fans up for no reason which yeah. i don't like yeah it's just sort of like advertising like mass effect 4 it will that's exist. literally it that's literally <laughs> it yeah it's like they show liara for a second and they're like mass effect will return it's like yeah. ah, come on guys yeah. like, maybe we, we have a game first maybe let's make the game first yeah. and then we can talk about it like let's not yeah uh so that i guess that is a hot take um <laughs> Uh, gosh, my other hot take would, pro would probably be, um, oh my gosh, I don't know. I've, we've covered so many of them over the course <laughs> of this. Do you guys have any suggestions? Any like Mass Effect people in the audience have like a suggestion? Shout out a hot take if you got one. Uh, the Ardot Yaki or Queer Codas. Oh, so the lesbian sex death. Uh, oh, yeah. Sorry. Yeah, I totally. I I I mess with that. I like that idea. The art I actually are queer coded. I like that a lot. Um, I like that a lot. Yeah. I guess my other hot take is like, I don't know why there are uh, like gender boundaries on relationships because you're fucking aliens. <laughs> <laughs> that's that's maybe my other hot take is like, like who gives one. a shit? Yeah. <laughs> like why why would we care about this? Like why. <laughs> Um, why is Garrus straight? Like, I don't, yeah. I don't know. <laughs> that, that's weird. <laughs> it does seem in a world full of like all sorts of kind of people that it, that's a, a narrow approach to things. Yes. Yeah. Yeah, yeah, uh, yeah. One more hot take. Let me fuck a Krogan. 
<laughs> that feels like a good way to end. It. I don't. I don't think we're getting any better than that. Yeah, yeah that's the hottest of takes. Yeah, that's, that's how you would have rewritten the party scene. If- Correct. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Um, amazing. Uh, at the end of every episode, we like to share our micro fandoms uh, for the week of uh, things that you're excited about this week that you're nerding out about. Do you Ooh. have what's your micro fandom right now? What are you loving? Ooh, I love this question. Um, I'm rereading a bunch of Tamara Pierce books which are like my favorite fantasy books of all time. So I'm, I'm really deep back in that lore right now. But also I've been like, ooh, I've been on a real Stranger Things kick. How can uh, you that makes sense. Oh, yeah. Like a real, just reading a lot of steady and romance fan fiction. Like a lot of Fruity Four fan fiction on AO3 has been like absorbing my life yes. lately. So that, that's been my like queer ships and stranger things yes. <laughs> is big for me right now. I love a queer ship. <laughs> oh my gosh. Steph, what about you? What are you nerding out about right now? Uh, I mean, we're at Fan Expo and I'm going to meet Billy Boyd later. So I'm <gasps> just going to explode and ah, scream. I yes. I woke up this morning way too early and was like, it's a Hobbit day. It's a Hobbit day. Oh my gosh. Oh my uh, God. Amazing. So I'm pretty jazzed. That's the hat. She's yeah. wearing a Sauron yeah. hat right I'm now. I'm wearing the Eye of Sauron. It's very good. <laughs> Thank you. Kaya made it yesterday. Very good. It's very good. <laughs> uh, Kaya, what are you fanning out about? Um, I'm fanning out about the cosplay here at Fan Expo. Amazing. It's just like, I'm such a costume nerd, and yeah. this is actually my first time doing any cosplay. Oh, it looks so good. You, should, you look you. so good. They're dressed um, up as Brendan Fraser from The Mummy. <laughs> <laughs> I'm assuming. No, you're from... I, I do have a cloak, but I will take Brendan Fraser no, from are The you, Mummy. No, are you Nathan Drake? Uh, no, no. I, I have a... I have, I'm not wearing it right now, but I have a Hobbit cloak. Oh, you're a Hobbit. Oh. I just don't, I just don't have the vest. <laughs> That's I, my bad. <laughs> uh, no, not at all. As, as, as a trans mask person, I will take any Great, of those perfect, characters. Perfect. <laughs> yes, wonderful. <laughs> Happily. Brendan Fraser me anytime. Um, um, then I saw the ring around the neck and I was like, nah, it's Nathan Drake. Never mind. And then I was so <laughs> sure about it. Shit, no, yeah. Not, for sure. Any day. Um, but even just seeing all of the costumes is so inspiring. And that's why last night I went into a cardboard hole. Um, yeah, I can't believe you that. made that hat last night. It's yeah, amazing. No, and it's just so inspiring to see all these people and what they can do with just foam and paint. So good. It's, it's like, it, it makes me want to dress up every day. Uh, so screw good. jeans. <laughs> yes. Amazing. Uh, Sam, thank you so much for being this here. This is so much fun. Where thank can, you for having me. Where can people find you? Anything you want to plug? Yeah. Oh, yeah. Um, I just announced my new novel, uh, Star Wars Jedi Battle Scars. Woo, cool. Uh, thank you, which comes out on March 7th. So you can pre-order that now online. And you can find me on social media just at my name, at Sam Mags, S-A-M-M-A-G-G-S, or on TikTok at Sam Writes A Lot. Uh, yeah, where I am way too often. Amazing. Uh, <laughs> thank you guys. This is so much fun. Thank so you. Fun. Such a blast. blast. <laughs> uh, and everyone, uh, till next time, love the things you love and tell everyone about them. Yeah. Okay, bye. 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 The Phantom Show. The Fandom Show is produced by Andrew Ivamy as part of the From Superheroes Network. For more great podcasts like this, as well as webcomics, articles, and so much more, visit FromSuperheroes.com.